Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, the topic that we'll spend the most time on today, the Branson Robinson running back injury. Obviously, that's such disappointing news for Robinson personally. A lot of Georgia fans would certainly feel very disappointed too. So we're going to spend a couple of seconds just kind of feeling not so great about that. And then what we're going to try to do today is two things. Thing number one, we're going to get very specific, admittedly probably a little too deep in the weeds, but we're going to get very specific about what Georgia needs from its running back position this year and how it gets there without Branson Robinson able to provide that. Uh, we'll also talk about a pretty positive, I think a little bit of a positive spin, and I don't, I don't think it's a, a leap to say this, but we'll give you kind of a positive spin on exactly why the running game may end up being a little bit better shape for Georgia here this season than you might otherwise expect. We'll do a lot of that here coming up in a moment. But before that, would you indulge me on one thing just for a second? And I promise you, we're going to spend a couple of minutes on this, and then we're going to get serious about the stuff that matters. But I heard Urban Meyer say one of the absolute dumbest things I have ever heard from anyone who would kind of pretend to be an analyst. And I don't feel like this show needs to end without me calling him out, at least just briefly. And I won't hold back on my feelings on Meyer here. I think it's an embarrassment to the football community that Meyer is still treated like an analyst in good standing. When you look at the way that Meyer's professional career has kind of unraveled on him, his tenure as Jacksonville Jaguars coach was a total disgrace. And the stories are still being told about the ways in which Meyer, I think, brought shame to himself in terms of how he conducted his business on the field, had no idea of what it really took to be successful as an NFL coach. And day after day, week after week, he proved that. He also had some pretty distasteful off-the-field issues going on there also, which uh, added you know, further cloud to what was just a kind of a, a rough chapter of his life. But his tenure at Ohio State didn't come to an end in any better fashion. Obviously, defended Zach Smith over and over and over again to the disappointment of many. And then the Florida thing, even though Netflix doesn't properly document that in their uh, newest series, uh, we all know the truth there. How many kind of sordid characters he seemed to be more than happy to tolerate for a long time there at Florida if it benefited him winning games the point is I don't think that Urban Meyer should be celebrated as an expert when it comes to football because I don't believe that Meyer has the charity the character and integrity of someone who deserves standing like that but nonetheless Fox trots him out on TV uh, all the time and you know various websites I guess do the same thing there as well and in addition to a guy whose professional judgment ought to be questioned whose personal character I believe is worthy of being questioned his analysis of football I think is probably worth being questioned as well because he was on some show somewhere I'll put a link to the interview I don't remember you know where it is necessarily but I'll put a link to it when we post the show a little bit later on um, he's on some show somewhere talking about Ohio State and their very tough non-conference game coming up later on this season against Notre Dame but nonetheless he's all worried about this and he's so worried about teams such as Georgia and Michigan not having to play games like that and in regards to the Georgia part in particular Meyer is so bothered by Georgia's non-conference schedule that he believes the NCAA ought to do something about it you will not hear a dumber statement all day long than this so let me let you hear it we'll laugh at it and then we'll move on this is Urban Meyer real quick I just think also the NCAA should mandate scheduling when I see like uh, the Wolverines and I see Georgia's preseason schedule and you know I just think with this 12-team playoff that if I'm a head coach at Ohio State, I could care less about my preseason schedule, you know, about the, non, the non-league schedule. You know, you're, our job is getting the playoff. And so I just worry that's going to – why would why would Ohio State play Notre Dame anymore? Yeah. You know, why would that – you know, why not play the MAC conference schedule to keep everybody healthy and get ready to rip and roar into a season, you know? So I just I, – I think, you know, there's some shortcomings. It's it, just for the good of the game, I hope. You should play a top 25. I, if, I think you should play a, a premier school, a middle school, and then you can play a smaller school. You know, that should be some kind of mandate. 
many, many years ago when Meyer was still at Florida and he was having success, and that's a long time ago. We have a lot of our audience that's too young to even remember when Florida was good and certainly when Urban Meyer was able to contribute to that Florida success. So if you're of a certain age, you don't even know about this, but Florida used to be good at football a long time ago, and Urban Meyer was the coach there. And at the time, Georgia fans who are old enough to remember that would sometimes they would call urban meyer urban crier you know fans always have like little, little nicknames for coaches they want to to kind of deride and meyer's nickname at the time was urban crier and when you hear a statement like that you understand why some georgia fans kind of view urban meyer as urban crier because here he is crying about ohio state's gonna play notre dame and georgia's not playing a game like that and the ncaa ought to step in they ought to do something about it meyer is embarrassing himself with his analyst uh, analysis right there and it aggravates me to no end because on a show like this and admittedly we're very georgia centric we're here deep in the heart of the south uh, uh you know here right in the heart of uh, dog nation but we try hard to understand the perspective of other football fans so we can talk about the sport at large. Meyer and the folks up there in Columbus don't seem to want to return the favor. They don't seem to be aware of the Georgia cancellation against Oklahoma. But more importantly than that, the fact that Georgia played Oregon last year, Clemson the year before that, they're going to play Clemson again in 2024, and on and on and on and on. Georgia's got as tough a non-conference schedule year after year after year as anybody would. Meyer, not only does he not seem to know that, he doesn't seem to care to know it. Like the dumbest kind of person is someone who doesn't know what they don't know in this particular case Meyer full of self-confidence doesn't seem to know what he doesn't know and I think he ought to be called out for that plus when it comes to this unbeatable Notre Dame team that Meyer's worried about Ohio State playing I'll tell you right now that Georgia's current regular season schedule as soft as it's viewed to be there are at least three teams in the Georgia schedule this year that I believe will be better than Notre Dame there may be four so this idea that somehow Ohio State's making things unnecessarily hard on itself uh, because it's playing Notre Dame that's ridiculous and of course Meyer has always been one of the most you know sanctimonious hypocritical figures in all of major football and this is another example that there as well because if you want to go back when he last won a uh, national championship at Ohio State 2014 once again you have to be pretty old to even have good memories of that what was Ohio State's non-conference schedule that year for the most part the same kind of schedule that he's criticizing from Georgia and Michigan they did play a power five Virginia Tech but that was a seven and six team and oh yeah Ohio State lost that game they were gifted a spot in the college ball playoff anyway so the point here is Meyer says some dumb stuff can't help but notice it and shows like this sometimes exist to kind of call that out and so that is what we're going to do now let's shift gears to something else here for a moment because the big story involving Georgia football is the injury situation to Branson Robinson. Yesterday, Kirby Smart met with the media and right there at the beginning of the press conference delivered the bad news. Dog fans did not like hearing this. I'm right there with you on that. Uh, certainly a disappointment to hear news about Branson Robinson's season-ending injury, but it is important to hear what Kirby Smart had to say about it, so let's hear the coach from yesterday on that topic. Branson had a significant injury yesterday. He had a non-contact ruptured teletendon, so he will be out for the season tough, tough break for him. Um, he was, you know, coming back from a toe injury on the other leg, and uh, yeah, he, he actually was not even in a contact drill. He cut and planted and um, ruptured the patella tendon, so unfortunately he'll get a full recovery, but he'll be out for the season, which, you know, puts us in a tough situation at back. Kendall's still, Kendall's actually taking some more reps. He's been able to do some things, but he's not 100%. And uh, Andrew is getting a ton of reps. Uh, Rod Robinson is getting a ton of reps. Cash uh, is getting a lot of work. Um, so, you know, it'll be done by committee like it always has been here. I hate it for Branson because he had really worked hard, you know, at the end of the spring when he had the turf toe. You know, he was battling back all off season. He's had a great summer and uh, looked really good uh, in the days leading up to uh, this injury. There is a lot to hate about this, just to be completely honest with you. Let me tell you what I sort of hate about it the most. Like Georgia fans like all Georgia players, right? And there's so many fun and interesting personalities on this team, and Georgia fans gravitate towards them all. But if you did do a vote of, hey, who's your most popular, most you know, who's your favorite Georgia player? Like Robinson would actually finish pretty high in that voting, I think, despite the fact that he's still a pretty young player and hasn't really kind of come into his own yet in terms of a starting role or kind of the focal point of an offense yet. But Robinson would have been very high on this list. You know, he's just one of those guys that just collected a lot of 
popularity at Georgia pretty early. And some of that's because he himself is obviously a very promising prospect. Some of this is also because he has always reminded people of Nick Chubb. So the love that some Georgia fans have for Chubb, they've kind of given to Robinson. And so one of the things you hate about this is the idea that Robinson and Kirby Smart certainly suggest that was a strong possibility. If he had a great season this year, Georgia fans would have eaten that up. They would have had a blast with it because Robinson's already a really popular player. Now, the other thing here is the biggest question we have about Georgia on the field right now, and I believe rightly so, is the running back position. This is true no matter what, but it's now especially true when it comes to the fact that Robinson is a name you will subtract off this list. Branson Robinson, Roderick Robinson, of course, still there. But you subtract Branson Robinson off that list here for this year, and all of a sudden you're left to wonder, okay, what exactly do you have at the running back spot right now? Andrew Paul is recovering from injury. How close to 100% can he be? Kendall Milton has been held out. How ready to go will he be for the games that matter most? You know, Dejon Edwards, kind of a quiet summer, I believe, here a little bit. What does that mean for his overall profile? Robinson, I said before, Roderick the freshman, you know, he's the big bruising back. Perhaps he adds something here. Cash Jones, the third down option, maybe a guy you throw to out of the backfield. But there's a lot of mystery and intrigue about Georgia, the running back position here this season. And Branson's Rob, Branson Robinson season-ending injury only heightens that even more. So much so that I believe that Kirby Smart yesterday was asked a pretty important question. Hey, does the absence of all of these, you know, or I should say the absence of Branson Robinson and the mystery around some of these other running backs, does that change your offensive game plan this year? In other words, will you now run it last because your running backs are so unproven? And I think that Kirby Smart gave an important answer to this question, and we're going to kind of dive into why it is important. But let me let you hear the coach again one more time before we do. No. I wouldn't. I, it's not going to affect our run-to-pass ratio. We have capable backs. Uh, he was one of our better backs, and uh, went healthy last year. We think he was kind of coming into his own. He was learning how to pass protect. He was learning how to do this, and he he had a really good spring while he was going. So we were really excited about where he was headed. He was explosive, twitchy, um, could do some things uh, in pass pro and running the ball that maybe some of the other guys guys couldn't do. But um, we're not going to have that luxury. So we have other guys that can do it. I don't think it changes philosophically when you've got Kendall Milton, Dejon Edwards-Cash, uh, and Andrew Paul, who, who's had a good camp. Uh, although he's coming off an ACL and then Rod. I mean, we've got capable backs there and we've got people around them to get the ball to. So I, I don't see that changing who we are offensively. It's just, uh, you know, it probably makes uh, another injury more significant. It makes you rethink, you know, what special teams roles do you want the backs playing? Because you've you got to be aware of, of at what point um, there's a drop off. The point that Kirby Smart is making there, I believe, is so important. He says the Branson Robinson injury will not change what we do offensively, even though the guys who are left in their own right have some questions about them there as well. But Smart says, understanding all of that, that's still not going to change what we are offensively. And I believe the reason why that's true is because if you want to succeed in the SEC, you can't change from what Georgia is too much in this league in particular, emerging out of this league with a shot to go for three and 23 and win another national championship. Y'all. You have got to be able to run the football. You cannot give up on the running game. I've heard some Georgia fans, even in our comment section, or maybe to me on social media, who've suggested, well, in light of all this, hey, that just means Carson Beck and this very talented crop of wide receivers plus Brock Bowers, they'll just need to throw the ball more. And obviously you expect Georgia to have a pretty big season through the air, I believe, because of the pass-catching weapons who are there. But it is a misnomer to say that you can abandon the run, kind of become a pass-first team, and remake your offense as a way of remaining successful in light of this injury or lingering issues for other Georgia running backs or other running backs. You don't quite know what you've got in those guys as of yet. That's a misnomer. Let me walk you through this a little bit statistically, and let's see if we can kind of agree upon what Georgia now has to do from the running back spot. Admittedly, this won't necessarily be easy, but this is specifically, I believe, the absolute benchmark lowest level of rushing game that Georgia can achieve and still win the national championship. If the numbers dip below this, then in all likelihood, I believe that Georgia probably won't win the national championship. First of all, let's, let's look at the last two years for Georgia. Last year, Georgia 
uh, for the season collected more than 3,000 rushing yards in the year. Year before that, not quite as good. They were still above 2,800 yards rushing on the entirety of the season. That's through 15 games. Now, there is a very good chance that Georgia this year, because of unproven running backs, lingering injuries for some, the total absence of Branson Robinson, there is a chance that Georgia this season might not match either one of those totals. Not the 3,000 that it got a year ago, not the 2,800 plus it got in a national championship season prior to that. There's a very good chance that's true. But if that's the case, I still think that's okay, potentially. There is a number below that, which I believe represents the benchmark that you cannot go below. That to me is 2,500 yards. If you go back and look at Georgia won the last two national titles. We'll say 2020 doesn't count because that was a shorter season. You don't have full season stats to make sense of. The previous season before that's 2019. LSU won the national championship out of the SEC that year. Now, it just so happens that LSU had the most dominant passing attack I've probably ever seen for a single season. Joe Burrow's single year performance for LSU in 2019 was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. But They weren't only a passing team. LSU that year still ran the ball for 2,500 yards. So I'm going to put that as the lowest benchmark that Georgia cannot go underneath. They've still got to run for at least 2,500 yards. Now, in all honesty, they probably need to be better than that because they probably don't have a Joe Burrow-type season coming. But at the very least, you've got to get 2,500 yards. Now, if you want to drill down that a little bit more, here is on a per-game basis what that means. It's 169 yards. 169 yards per game will keep Georgia from a rushing standpoint in the conversation to win a national championship and still achieve all the go for three and 23 goals that exist for this program. Now, maybe Georgia goes far above that, but they can't go below it. And if you don't believe me, let me give you a little bit more information on that. First of all, it's amazing to me that you have to go back to November of 2019 to find Georgia's last five losses. Georgia has lost five games since November of 2019. That's kind of an amazing thing to consider. But if you look back at those five losses, here's what you see. The rushing total for Georgia in those games that it lost, Georgia ran for 109 yards against Alabama in the 2021 SEC championship game, 165 yards against Florida in 2020. That's below the 169 threshold that I established before. They ran for 145 yards in the loss to Alabama in 2020. They ran for just 61 yards in the 2019 SEC championship loss to LSU. And against South Carolina in 2019, uh, the surprising upset loss there, Georgia ran for 163 yards. Do you notice how that 169 yard barrier kind of becomes sometimes a difference between winning and losing close loss to south carolina georgia just underneath the 169 ugly game against florida in 2020 georgia just underneath the uh 169 how about last year in the one regular season game where brian kelly from lsu has already told us this week that georgia was probably lucky to win lucky to pull out the win against missouri would you like to guess how many yards georgia ran for in that game you can look it up 169 169 169 yards a game i'm not saying it's a magical number or anything like that but it does represent a little bit of a benchmark that if you could do that on a per game basis then you can avoid a game like missouri where it could have been a loss but you found a game you find a way to win it or the opposite of that like what a south carolina became for you in 2019 there's a little bit of a line of demarcation on one side or the other of that 169 and if you did that for 15 games you were at least in the similar rushing total to where national champions have been here in the playoff era from the SEC, including LSU in 2019. Now, I also believe there's a chance that even with the Branson Robinson injury and unanswered question by other Georgia running backs, there is still a chance that Georgia could go far above that rushing total this year. And I'm going to explain to you how it is they may get there. But first, I do want to take some time to introduce the show. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. We're happy to have you, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m. across all video platforms. Earlier than that, first in 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. Of course, radio in the afternoon, podcast, all platforms. Just really happy to have you join us in the program, however you get to us today. And a big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, who make it all possible. I want you to... Understand something that if you find yourself going through a tough situation, I hear this from friends all the time, you know, where sometimes a marriage just comes to an end and 
who knows how it all got there and who knows what the story is everybody's got their own side of course but one thing that everybody agrees on both parties in the relationship kind of agree on is one way or another these differences are irreconcilable this marriage is going to come to a conclusion and so the only thing to think about now is what comes next and for you my marriage kind of and for you the thing that may uh, for you the thing that may come next there on that is a consultation free initial consultation with one of those attorneys from Meriwether and Tharp they can walk you through the divorce process and you may have an idea of what that is but Meriwether and Tharp can explain the reality of that for you in terms of how specifically that's going to impact your life so my invitation to you is to check them out online the atlantadivorceteam.com the website once again the atlantadivorceteam.com have that free initial consultation make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp to walk with you down this process as you go through the divorce and then you'll understand on the other side of all of that when you're happy and set up for a more successful next season of your life that Meriwether and Tharp really is your source for Georgia divorce they know it they've been through it they can explain it to you and they can set you up for success in the middle of a situation that you may not have asked for but now making the best of the moment is your task your job and that's what Meriwether and Tharp wants to help you do so find them online the atlantadivorceteam.com that's the atlantadivorceteam.com Meriwether and Tharp your source for Georgia divorce all right we're going to do uh Terrence Edwards here in a little bit as I told you before there may still be a very positive outlook for the Georgia rushing attack here this season even with the injury to Branson Robinson I'll tell you more about that here there as well and as far as the outlook for all of these Georgia players here this year before we get into that let me remind you if you go to the top of the page at dognation.com right now you'll see a link to click into for our season predictions contest this has actually been really fun to see so many folks kind of jumping in there trying to get their chance to win by giving their thoughts and predictions about the upcoming season so if you go to dognation.com right up there at the top you'll see the tab click into it uh this contest opportunity runs between now and september 1st so get in there give us your season predictions that's online at dognation.com make sure you do all of that all right so now let's go around the doghouse it's presented today by our friends at serve pro and what we've been talking about here is the situation with the Georgia running game already a big unanswered questions unanswered question for Georgia made even larger by the injury to Branson Robinson that Kirby Smart told you about yesterday but if you ask me even in light of all of this hey BA what right do any of us still have to to be optimistic about this Georgia running game why still feel good about all of this just given the fact that you know the Robinson season ending injury was a little bit of a kick in the gut yesterday Here's what I'm going to tell you. I think the reason why the outlook for Georgia's rushing attack this year could still actually be a bit of a positive by the time the year is done is because obviously, you know, there are still plenty of talented guys in this room. Del McGee's told us that. Kirby Smart's told us that. The players themselves obviously believe in themselves. But in addition to that, I believe that Georgia is going to have a very, very good offensive line here this year. I believe it's likely to be the best offensive line in America, whether it's acknowledged that way by the Joe Moore Award or not. I think the offensive line has been an underrated strength for Georgia's last two national championship teams. And I believe that this year, once again, especially compared to the other national championship contenders, Michigan will once again have a good OL. I think that Alabama does have a good offensive line, but a team like Ohio State on paper doesn't have anywhere near the offensive line in place that Georgia does. And it certainly doesn't have the offensive line depth that Georgia does. So everything is connected. When you think about the running game, what it could be, what it might not be without Branson Robinson, you also have to include in that conversation what the Georgia offensive line can do to help contribute to that. And there was something that Kirby Smart said yesterday that I don't think you should miss. You know, two weeks ago on our show, we were talking to John Stinchcomb about offensive line depth and the fact that if Ernest Green's fully healthy and that's your left tackle starter, Austin Blasky is sort of a super sixth man. That could be really fun. I think by the end of the year, an incoming freshman like Monroe Freeling could be kind of an interesting part of this. But beyond that, how about the rest of your number two offensive lineman? How about the rest of your overall offensive line depth? And John kind of laughed and said, well, listen, you know, if we're worried about the eighth and ninth best offensive lineman for Georgia right now, then Georgia fans are certainly in a pretty luxurious position. And on the one hand, that's certainly true. And yet, on the other hand, football just sort of has a way of testing your depth pretty quickly. That you love your starters, but one of them gets hurt. 
Then a second one gets hurt, and all of a sudden you are playing your seventh best offensive lineman. All of a sudden you are kind of moving pieces around. And once a team deals with the kind of stress test that seasons typically provide, do you still feel elite when you kind of go through that? That's one of the most important questions that an offensive line can ask, and especially for an offensive line this year that's got the job of kind of helping increase the Georgia rushing attack, just given the health concerns that position group has right now. Something that Kirby Smart said yesterday should not go missed you should make sure you notice this that Kirby Smart gave a very positive update we believe that Georgia's got five really good starters along the offensive line as said before we believe that Austin Blasky assuming he doesn't end up being one of those starters is a very capable super six man but two other guys former elite recruits kind of waiting the wings Dylan Fairchild Micah Morris Kirby Smart gave you a very positive update on both those guys yesterday and y'all I'm telling you this is the kind of thing that only a show that talks Georgia football every day would discuss your 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 backup guards that, that, that's as that's as non-mainstream as the topic gets but for Georgia this year this is going to matter and Georgia this year I believe apparently still has more offensive line depth than any other would-be national championship contender and Kirby Smart sort of told you why yesterday here's Kirby both uh Dylan and Mike have had tremendous springs and fall camps uh Mike has been a little dinged up so he's missed a few reps in and out but he's He's, uh, he's really uh, significant on, on trap plays and pulling plays. He's physical. Uh, he doesn't shy away from contact. He gets movement. Um, again, he needs to improve his stamina to be able to play uh, to the level of a starter consistently every snap. Um, Dylan's had a great camp. Dylan's worked at, at tackle and guard, and uh, he's done a great job. He's really physical. I think he's kind of come into his own where he's, he's one of our strongest weight room players. And you can see that taking effect uh, uh, with the offensive line. I mean, I look at those two guys as starters, and they can play and, and, and roll and play in there with those other guys. Kirby Smart said, I look at our backup guards as starter-level players. Austin Blasky may be a starter-level player. As I said before, by the end of the year, Monroe Freeling may also be a starter-level player. So Georgia's got five offensive linemen. I think it feels really good about starting. And then a second unit that is also kind of rounding into form that they are starter level players, whether they actually have that label or not. Y'all, I think that's good news. And it's not the kind of thing that like the national website's going to be aggregating or it doesn't move the needle in terms of the mainstream conversation, but it's this kind of offensive line depth that actually determines who wins national championships. Georgia needs a great year from its offensive line. And like the old saying goes, you're going to have either reasons or results. Uh, They can't have, well, an injury kind of kept us from being as good as we could be. If that be the case, then Georgia doesn't run the ball as effectively as it could, and maybe this team falls short of winning a national championship. But if you can maintain your offensive line success, even if you have to endure a couple of injuries, then that keeps the entire train on the track, potentially speaking. It sounds like based on the emergence of Fairchild, the emergence of Morris, they're not starters right now, but Kirby Smart says they're capable of being, and injuries we know could put them in a role in which they could be thrust into that before the year is done. I take that as a very positive update from Kirby yesterday, and I don't think you should miss it. That is Around the Doghouse. It's presented today by ServPro. Now, what's not positive is house that you live in or rental property that you may be managing or commercial property that your business is housed in when some sort of damage or massive uh, mess gets made in a place like that can be one of the worst things you can deal with because you see the fire the water intrusion these are the kinds of things that commonly cause this to occur and you're left to wonder well how can this ever be put back together again well that's where our friends the restoration specialists from ServPro can step in and do great work for you because i love the way they describe this they put it all together for you like it never even happened that's what ServPro is famous for so if you've had fire damage in your house if you've had some sort of big water leak business we've actually had one of those here in our uh uh, producer Michael Carvel stepped up, had ServPro come out here, got it all cleaned up and taken care of. If you've dealt with those kinds of things in the past, or if you're dealing with that right now, ServPro is the name to know on all that. Each franchise independently owned and operated. I like that. That matters to me, and I'll tell you why. What that means is, is that these companies, the, the ServPro franchises, have just as much of a vested interest in a satisfactory outcome for you as you do for yourself. They've got skin in the game, in other words. So I want you to reach out and find them. It's ServPro.com. The word serve is spelled S-E-R-V. It's ServPro.com. Restoration specialists. You've had fire damage. You've had water damage. They want to clean it all up like it never even happened. All right, before we're done on the program today, a lot to do around the SEC, including 
a huge piece of news, by the way, on one of the biggest week one games next weekend, and a major player, one of the top stars, I believe, in the SEC this year, has been suspended by the NCAA. Is the NCAA even still a thing? Uh, this is kind of a weird story. We'll do more to kind of pay attention to the facts outside of our boundaries, and certainly Urban Meyer is doing up there in Columbus, Ohio. We'll do that before we're done. And if you're a fan of hating on the lousy, stinking Gators, we have a pretty funny thing to give you in terms of why at least somebody thinks it's going to be a very bad year for Florida. We'll do all that before we're done. But for now, a guy who's good enough to join us, even though he's on the road, he's getting ready for a big high school football game this weekend, representing the state of Georgia outside uh, our state's boundaries. It's our buddy Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Glad to have Terrence Edwards a part of the program. A lot to talk to Terrence about here today. But as I mentioned, uh, Terrence, before we get into the more, I guess, serious football stuff, you know you guys kind of waving the flag for the Peach State down in Florida here this weekend. You know, we saw Buford get the win over St. Francis. We've seen, you know, some of these Georgia teams kind of try to handle business kind of outside the state, whether traveling or kind of hosting an in-state team. You got uh, Creekside. They're going to be going all the way out to modern day in a couple of weeks. Uh, you guys are the latest to do that here this weekend, too. So all of Georgia's rooting for y'all representing the state down there in Florida. Yes, we are. We're not the only Georgia team here, and we actually play tonight against Western out of Davie, Florida, but Cedar Grove is here as well. We're nice. all in the same hotel, so uh, you got two top teams in the state of Georgia here in South Florida uh, representing for the whole state of Georgia, and we're going to try to go out and put our best foot forward and see what happens. How'd bed check go last night? Oh! <laughs> 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 well, bed check went well, but, you know, you get a 50 to 60 teenagers in one it. hotel, and you can understand the chaos that was going on in the hallways last night. No, time. I get it. I'm giving you a hard time. That's that, that's funny to consider. I'm glad you guys are doing that, and I know it's going to be a great experience for all of those players. What is not such a good experience for Georgia fans right now, the news yesterday that Branson Robinson, the running back, who I think a lot of Georgia fans, rightly so, had great expectations for here for this upcoming year, Robinson not going to miss the season because of an injury that Kirby Smart told us about yesterday. You know, Terrence, what's your reaction to that and kind of where Georgia goes from here on all that? Well, that was big news that uh, that Branson's going to be out because I think we all was looking for good things uh, from him. And he showed that he can hold up. And he's big. He's fast. he got good vision. So I was looking forward to seeing him in the mix with other guys. But you know, with the running back position, I'm not too worried uh, about it. I think we have a nice day, but as long as they, they stay healthy. Uh, I see uh, Elkwards is out right now. Milton is out. But they're going to give uh, Robson, the other Robson, the uh, another opportunity to show what he could do. That's going to get Cash Jones. That's going to get uh, Andrew uh, Paul uh, coming off his ACL more opportunities. Uh, Kenneth Whitehead, who transferred from Tennessee as a walk-on now. So, We'll be able to be okay at the position, and, uh, you know, the first three weeks, we don't have the best opponents. We all know that, so we don't have to rush those guys back. But once I think the third game against South Carolina, hopefully those guys will be back close to 100% to uh, help us try to beat South Carolina in that first SEC game. So uh, the schedule aligns for us to be able to keep those guys out for the first two weeks. Um, but hopefully they'll be ready for the South Carolina game. The numbers I gave a moment ago, if you just want to get kind of like just sort of the bare minimum of what acceptable would be, I think you got to run at 169 yards per game this year. you got to find a way to get to at least 2,500 yards. I think this team has a chance to eclipse that, but the absolute basement, I believe, is 2,500 yards. And the overall point there, Terrence, is, hey, as good as this passing game could be, you got a lot of great wide receivers. you got Brock Bowers, maybe the best player in the entire country. But in the SEC – you've still got to be able to run it. You don't necessarily have to be able to run it at the very best clip that Georgia has in recent years, but you've got to be at least acceptable in the running game to keep the opposing defenses honest, especially in this league, right? Oh, most definitely. I mean, I think Kirby, at the end of the day, in his bones, still wanting to be able to run the ball effectively. I know everyone wants to see this high-power offense that throws the football everywhere, but one thing about running the football, it travels. It doesn't matter what is what elements, weather-wise it is, you're still able to run the football. And to be the football team that we need to be, uh, we're breaking in a new quarterback, so the run game 
is one of the quarterback best friends. Like when things get tough, we have the offensive line, I believe, that can open holes. And when things are not going as well as we probably think they are, because we all know, you know, Carson, it's a first year start and it's not going to be perfect. You can rely on just handing that ball off. And we have, we definitely have guys that can get the job done. Um, but I would love for all the weapons to be healthy when we need them. What was your reaction to the news that Carson Beck is not just going to be the starting quarterback? We presumed that, but the fact that he was actually announced that way last Saturday. Pretty big statement, I think, from Kirby Smart there on that. What do you make of this offense right now with Beck at the helm? I, I you know, this is it wasn't a shock to me, but it was a shock that Kirby announced it this early. I think he just wanted to go ahead and uh, get it out of the way maybe for the public. I think the players and the coaches and everyone else already probably had an understanding that Carson was going to lead this team. Um, now the public and everyone knows uh, who's the leader of this team. I don't think Kirby get, may get so many questions asked about when he's going to name a quarterback and talk and have that you know conversation about the quarterback as much now. Uh, but I, from what I've seen when I've been there, Carson has been there for three years now. He's, he's, he's waited his turn and now it's his team, and, and if you go back and look at his high school days, his junior season, when he had talent around him, um, he was Mr. Football in the state of Florida. So if you can be Mr. Football in the state of Florida, you can play football. I think the one thing that I just keep coming back to with Beck is, I don't mind saying this, Terrence, I've kind of admitted this before, when a guy's been here for a little while and kind of hadn't really popped and he had the chance in 2021 to be the starter for that UAB game and it didn't quite work out for him, I'm a human being like anybody else is sometimes you kind of get a little bit of a preconceived notion and maybe I had a preconceived notion about back at one point in time of you know I'm not quite so sure this is going to happen for him or 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 just whatever the story you want to tell yourself in a situation like that but Carson to me in the spring when he spoke what we saw from him on G-Day the vibes that people kind of got from him when they had a chance to witness practice I believe yourself has even talked about this before to me, there is just such an additional level of maturity from him. He seems like a guy who's been here for a few years, and he seems like a guy who's seen some things. And 2020 was really weird. And in 2021, maybe he did kind of whiff on an opportunity. But all of that's just sort of the prologue to the story that he's trying to tell here right now. Um, I find him, at least the, the sense that I get, and there are plenty of people who know that better than I do, when their you know, sort of statements to me seem to confirm this, I find Carson Beck to be a much more mature version of himself than he was a couple of years ago. Right. You know, you got to think that is a hard position to play in. Not a lot of true freshmen can come out and just play this game. Some some quarterback just need some maturity, some maturation. Some quarterback just isn't ready at that time. And uh, as you said, just said, B.A., I, I think he's a more mature. I think he understands the game. I think he understands the offense much better. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hold what happened two years ago against him. I'm going to go out and from what I've seen in the spring game, from what I've seen in uh, limited playing time in the games that he played last year, he, he just looked calm, cool, and collected. So um, I'm going to just wait and hold judgment. Uh, I'm not just going to, you know, look at me like if, if, it, if it isn't perfect the first few games. You know, this is his first time starting in, in about four years since high school. So, um, I think he's ready. I think he's waited his turn. I think he understands what it takes. You don't have to go out, and I know people hate using this term, uh, being a game manager. No, yeah. Game manager is a good thing, in, in my opinion. You do what the coaches ask you to do, you do it, and you don't hurt your team. I, I, I would rather someone who managed the game or someone who's a gunslinger out there putting his team in, in bad position. So go out, execute the game plan, whatever that game plan is, and play up to your ability. And if you're out there managing the game, putting your team in positions to win, that's better than a gunslinger putting your, your team in positions to lose. All right, I think that's well said. Let's do this to kind of close things up here today. We've talked about this plenty, but now the game's next Saturday, so I want to check in one more time here. Terrence, I like this crop of wide receivers. I, I get the impression, and even this week we have more confirmation on this, I believe they are about to unleash Dominic Lovett. I believe he's going to be a sight to behold, I think, anyway. It's kind of cool to hear Makai Muse also mention the same sentence because they're so different as players, at least in terms of their profile. You know, Lovett's a top-five transfer. He may be a top-50 overall draft pick. Muse is a walk-on. But but similar kind of chatter about those players right now. In addition to that, you know, there are the other guys in that room there as well who – 
kind of seem to be ready for pretty big moments. Uh, Lad McConkey, others, of course. You know, one more check in here before the season begins next uh, next Saturday. How optimistic are you right now about what these Georgia wide receivers can be? We, we have spoken about all the receivers, but for this next thirty seconds to a minute, I got. I'm going to just talk about Makai. Makai is yeah. a, a kid that comes out of Central Gwinnett. Uh, I was able to do a little work with him before he went to Georgia, and everyone is just so enamored about the five stars, the four stars. Uh, Georgia fans who've listened to right now, if you've seen the last few spring games, and spring games is not always uh, uh, uh indicator of what a player is going to be, but I can promise you this. Makai Muse is going to be a player, not saying he's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver, even a 500-yard receiver, but he's going to be a player that Georgia's going to have to find a way to get on the field. If that's special teams, return and punt. He is a ball player. He's only about 5'8"-ish. He, but he's very thick and he's built. I'm telling you, B.A., at some point this year, he's going to make a play for us mm. and help us win the game. And Georgia's going to have to find a way to get this young man on the field. As a former walk-on, at some point he should earn a scholarship. He, he is really, really good. And if he was 5'10", he would not be a walk-on. That's awesome. Uh, great statement, Terrence. I know you're busy, so I'm going to let you go. But I do want to give folks a reminder here. Go back to last weekend across the state. We had high school football action taking place. A lot of your guys, guys that you tutor as a part of the uh, Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy, they showed out. Cameron Lloyd, uh, Walt, first of all, that Walton offense is a lot of fun to watch. And I think Lloyd's one of your guys. You had a lot of guys playing well last weekend. So if folks want to kind of see some of the great training techniques you're doing there as part of the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy, how can they find you on social media? Find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, best of luck to uh, Milton down there in South Florida. Represent our state well. Uh, we'll say the same thing to Cedar Grove. The Saints there too. So y'all have fun. We'll see you back here uh, on our show again very soon as well. Thank you, Diego. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I love Terrence. And, you know, I joked, but the whole bed check thing. The reason why I did is because when you talk to a lot of coaches – See, coaches think like coaches, and when you hear about the travel, things like that, uh, that's the one thing a lot of coaches will say is, oh, boy, taking players, you know, a long way away from home, you know, that just, that feels some, that f- will fill some coaches with a little bit of a sense of anxiety of, gosh, you're going to go all the way out to California and play a game, or gosh, you're going to do this. Uh, yeah, there's there's a certain behavioral management part of that that also goes into the football stuff, too, uh, but obviously should be a fun series of games. Milton playing tonight. Uh, Cedar Grove is Terrence said a part of that there too and then I've got you for four games here that we've got for a total of four games this weekend two of which I'll be calling uh, I've got Friday night really fun game between Carver and Calhoun that's gonna be there at Henderson Stadium in Midtown and then on Saturday it's a triple header and I've got the final game of that triple header called the West Side Classic really fun game between two Atlanta public school teams Douglas of course long history there for Douglas and then Washington uh, and got some major college prospects on both sides there so high school football is here and it's rolling and we are looking forward to all of that there is a very very strange thing happening for an sec power ahead of its season opener i'm going to talk about that with you here coming up in just a minute but prior to that let me remind you that we are cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean if you're watching a video you see i've kind of got the cruise attire on like one of the things i like to do when i go on a royal caribbean cruise vacation i like to look the part right and so i dress in the tropicals type stuff pretty much anytime i'm kind of off the clock I, I sort of like, I mean, it's just comfortable, right? The untucked shirt, you know, kind of a little bit relaxed. I've got shorts on today. I've even got flip-flops on. I mean, typically speaking, I try to dress somewhat professionally. Today, I'm pretty relaxed. Uh, stepping away from work for a few minutes today, going to be off the clock. And so just kind of enjoy that uh, and looking forward to that. So kind of looking the part here as if I were on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Let me tell you what, coming up very soon, you can be on a royal caribbean cruise vacation in fact i hope you'll be on a royal caribbean cruise vacation with us because april of 2024 on allure of the seas an oasis class ship you get a chance to be a part of that jessica slater great travel agent she can help you with it all she's got a website put together right now called royaldogs.com if you go there you can find out all the details leaving out of port canaveral going to nassau in the bahamas perfect day coco Cay. you should know that pretty much any cruise i'm going on we're going to be making that stop at Perfect Day Coco Cay. We just are. That's what we're going to be doing. I love to do that. So we're back there again here this year. Last year, so much fun. and eh, maybe a little too much fun uh, for me, maybe even. But uh, nonetheless, a great time was had. And I want to have that good time 
with you coming up this april so go to the website royaldogs.com find out about it find out what makes allure of the seas such a fun and special cruise ship and be on guard for even more specially themed dog nation events this year than we've ever had before it's going to be a great time all right let me tell you what's not a great time for lsu fans right now there are reports out there that lsu star defensive lineman mason smith formerly recruit dealt with an injury most of last year is going to be suspended for the season opener for florida state and lsu coming up was it still labor day night there in orlando uh it's 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 the week one matchup between florida state and lsu one of the biggest games of the entire year just happens to be week one and lsu is apparently going to be without mason smith for the game let me cover a lot of ground here just for a moment here is the strangest part about all of this the thing that mason smith is going to be suspended for is an autograph signing that he did in late 2021 just before the brand new nil era kind of kicked in we're now autograph signings and being paid for those is now legal smith did it a couple of months apparently prior to it becoming legal and he's not going to have you know a suspension to deal with because of this i guess there's reports coming out of baton rouge that Keyshawn butte was also serving a suspension one game for that a year ago now by the way to urban meyer this is how you pay attention to other programs other than the one that you're you know the closest to you 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 dig deep you get the facts you try to figure out what's going on and so this is apparently the facts when it comes to the to the mason smith situation it sounds bizarre to me that you're going to suspend a guy for something he did a couple of months prior to it becoming legal for everyone to do it sounds bizarre the only thing i can surmise and admittedly this is a little bit of a speculation but listen if speculation is the job requirement i am here for the task here's my speculation mason smith missed basically the entire year last year with a very serious injury my guess is he must not be healthy because if he was healthy enough to be fully able to play my guess is is that lsu would be peeling paint off the walls to argue that this should not happen and maybe they still will the the news reports only came out yesterday so i guess there's a chance that lsu will you know gnash teeth over this but so far this is actually to me this the reaction to the story has actually been a little quieter than i would expect it to be maybe it gets bigger as the day goes on but a little quieter than it would expect to be so it leads me to believe that lsu's willingness because by the way when it came to the ncaa and the basketball thing lsu didn't cooperate with that at all so the fact that they're cooperating on the football side of this on the idea of a one-game suspension that must be related to the fact they just don't think smith's healthy enough to play so by serving the suspension it gives the ncaa the appearance of still being in charge it's like the old line from bane and batman do you feel in charge uh you know maybe this is the ncaa's way of still sort of feeling in charge lsu you know give them a little bit of a win here yeah he'll, he'll be suspended not healthy enough to play anyway maybe that's what's going on here but if you don't have smith on your list of big time impact players in the sec this year i believe that you should you know lsu took 14 players of the transfer portal i believe 10 of those were on defense i think you i think i'm right about that check me on that but i believe 10 of the 14 players that lsu brought in the transfer portal are on defense so in brian kelly's second year this is expected to be an upgraded defense and obviously that's going to matter you know lsu had a couple of games last year where it played very bad defensively the tennessee game the georgia game they want to be better than that here this year more personnel on defense just makes that more likely but smith is just a different kind of guy coming back from injury it's almost like he's a transfer player too he's not he's a former elite recruit but you get my point they didn't have him a year ago now they are going to have him here this year i believe that if he sort of steps into that middle of the defense and kind of plays at a very high i don't want to say jordan davis level or something like that but but smith was a, as big a recruit as you could be i mean there is a very good chance that he is a massive impact interior defensive lineman for this lsu squad and if he is that's the path towards lsu becoming a legitimate playoff contender i've picked him to be in my playoff mason smith is the kind of guy that makes the difference there and if the injury for him lingers if um if you know if, if somehow some way doesn't quite come to fruition then maybe i end up being wrong about lsu and maybe they finish just below kind of that playoff standard but for now smith who's likely to miss the florida state game i believe should be on your list of players who matter the absolute most for sec teams outside of georgia here this year and as far as like the florida state thing goes this clearly hurts lsu's chances of winning that game 
Not enough for me to say, though. LSU's my pick here right now. LSU's a slight favorite in the spot. Um, still kind of like LSU there, even without Mason Smith playing. It appears that he might not be. But certainly a very weird scenario where the NCAA is trying to step up and flex over something that's not even illegal anymore. Reminiscent of the Michigan Jim Harbaugh stuff there as well. Kind of a death rattle here from the NCAA in terms of their overall credibility. Um, this is interesting. And look, I try not to dare my personal grievance on the show very much, but Stuart Mandel from The Athletic is the kind of avatar for the sort of national rider type that I find deeply unimpressive. And I'm not going to allow a preference for politeness cause me to pretend otherwise. The kind of person that just sort of lives in an ivory tower and has zero idea of the thought process of like fans who actually spend their time both loving and enjoying watching the sport. There's a certain stripe of like national rider that just doesn't seem to understand those people. And I'd kind of put Mandela as the sort of avatar for a lot of stuff like that. But if he picks a Florida coach to get fired, then he gets mentioned on the show. And I guess in a recent like mailbag or whatever, you know, uh, tired trope he's trotting out, um, he was making his predictions the upcoming season. One of the predictions that he made was is that Florida this year would be so bad that Billy Napier would get fired in year two. Now, I think it's fun to laugh at this. I don't quite think that's going to happen. Like the one thing that Napier does have going for him, and perhaps uh, Mandel knows this, perhaps he doesn't. But the one thing that that Napier does have going for him is he does have the big recruiting class in place for 2024. And, you know, sometimes there are recruiting wins that are a little bit artificial, like Williams Winery going to Missouri. That doesn't say anything about Eli Drinkwitz's long-term future. Uh, That's one of those, when it's all said and done, that's probably a fairly empty accomplishment. But what Florida's doing right now, and listen, I hate the Gators, and we call them the lousy, stinking Gators. We love making fun of them. But when you've got, you know, top five-ish class, whatever Florida's ranked here right now, a potential future quarterback like DJ Lagway, some of the other recruiting wins they've gathered, that's not really empty calories. That is a real thing. Now, Gators fans won't necessarily want to hear that if they don't win some games here this year. And we talked yesterday about the fact that even the Utah game, which on paper was one of the biggest mismatches against Florida here this season. All of a sudden, that game now seems more winnable because of the series of quarterback injuries that Utah's dealt with. Even that game becomes a little bit more of a realistic possibility for Florida win here right now. So Florida fans themselves will actually turn on Napier if he's not winning enough games in the field here this year. So it's not, it's not inappropriate to mention the idea of his job security. But he would have to be very, 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 very bad, I believe, to get fired after this season. I just think so. Now, could he enter 2024 on the hot seat where you need a good season to survive uh, after a third year? That's absolutely a possibility. The truth is, no SEC coach, whether it's your first year on the job or the 15th year on the job, no SEC coach gets to have three bad years in a row. That just doesn't exist. So, of course, Napier would be on the hot seat next year. But it would take a lot for him to lose his job after two years. Now, I did see where our buddy Takeo Spikes, and that's obviously one of Terrence Edwards' best friends, Takeo the other day had Florida going 4-8. and eight. If he goes 4-8, and eight, he's getting fired. <laughs> so, so if Takeo ends up being right on that, he will get fired. But even if they go 5-7, and seven, y'all, their, their season win total is only 5.5. So 5-7 and seven is actually kind of right where numeric expectations are. Florida fans don't want to believe that, but that's true. Like five and seven is not underperforming for Florida this year. That's that's kind of right at expectations. So were they six and seven a year ago? So six and seven a year ago. Is that right? Six and seven? So if you're six and seven, five and seven, you're absolutely teetering on the on the brink of what would get you fired. But given the fact they've also got a top five class coming in, my guess is Napier gets a third year. But the point, if, if you are a Florida fan or if you're a Georgia fan who just likes laughing at Florida, here's the thing to understand, is that one recruiting class, the one that Florida currently has, doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove anything. All you've done in that particular case is sort of work your way back up to a zero in, in terms of your overall ability to contend. And the notion that Billy Napier is or isn't a good coach, it is still yet to be determined. There is a list as long as my arm of hot shots from the group of five level who try to climb their way up to the top um, in the sort of major college ranks, had the resume that would lead you to believe they could be successful, had all the right endorsements, worked for Nick Saban, worked for Urban Meyer, worked for whoever else. The list of guys who've had all of those credentials 
and yet still failed in the big job is as long as my arm. And if Billy Napier becomes the next, people will pay attention to it for five seconds. They will yawn and then they will move on. Billy Napier is a totally inconsequential figure right now when it comes to college football. He will either play his way into relevance this season or he will play his way onto a scorching hot seat for 2024. And those are really the only two options for Florida here right now. Uh, Let me give you one more thing here very quick. So this weekend, we do have week zero action. And when you look at the bigger games, and I use bigger in quotation marks, there's not really a huge game necessarily. You've got Notre Dame Navy in Ireland. Notre Dame is about a 20 point favorite. I think the actual number is 20 and a half. You look at USC hosting San Jose State. That game, I believe, is only available in the Pac-12 network, which kind of explains why that league's about to go away. Um, You've got Vandy, Hawaii. Now, let me tell you what's on my mind here. If you're trying to find an early edge for some of these games, we had somebody in the comment section the other day ask what we're going to do, go with the flow of this week for week zero. We're not. Let me give you an early lean, something to think about. And some of y'all are just mathematically smarter than me. You You may have already figured this out. I can't quite tell yet how much the pace of play changes we're expecting this year have been baked into some of these spreads yet. You know, for instance, a year ago, we have one week zero rematch, or at least one, one that I'm aware of, Hawaii and Vanderbilt. And, you know, Vanderbilt went on the road out to Hawaii a year ago and just completely obliterate Hawaii. Hawaii on paper last year was one of the worst teams in college football, recent college football history. Uh, And that was kind of a crazy story last summer. The point spread in favor of Vanderbilt kept going up and up and up and up because everybody's trying to get in on the idea that that people didn't quite realize how bad Hawaii is going to be, and Vanderbilt just totally paced them. It was one of the biggest gambling stories of the year last year, and it happened to happen in week zero. But the spread in that game was 54 and a half. And the I should say the, the the over-under total for that Vandy-Hawaii game a year ago is 54 and a half. At least that's what I, what I have it as. This year, the total for the Vandy-Hawaii game in Nashville is 55 and a half. Now, some of that's related to the fact that Vanderbilt's actually not terrible offensively. A.J. Swan's at quarterback. Clark Lee kind of moving into, <coughs> you know, you know fairly impressive uh, year a year ago. But we are expecting about 10% fewer plays per game this year than in previous years because of the clock rules. And the clock rules are done solely to benefit television. They want to shrink the TV window so they can get more games at the same number of commercials. So they're going to reduce the number of plays. And if you reduce these plays by about 10%, you're going to reduce the scoring, total scoring between both teams. I think the math nerds will tell you about three points or so. We may see about three points per game lower um, you know, total scored this season than we saw a year ago. So you should do your own research, but I'm thinking unders here early in the season a little bit. You know, at first blush, even though last year Vanderbilt really cranked it up offensively, I'm heavily considering under Vandy Hawaii around 55 and a half. The total for USC San Jose State, 66 and a half, maybe. I think that could be an interesting underspot too. Now, uh, USC plays terrible defense, so maybe that's not going to happen. Uh, but I'm my early lean here is on some unders there in those spots. So uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, we'll obviously talk a little bit more about Week Zero tomorrow, but fun to have college football back. All right, before we move on, we'll give you a quick shout out here. You know, nationally back, well, uh, our friends at AquaGuard have something they want you to know about. That if you're dealing with uh, some sort of issue with your crawl space, you can get crawl space repair from our friends at AquaGuard. If you're seeing moldy uh, crawl space causing musty odors, sinking floors, uh, AquaGuard offers you a nationally back warranty right now what they call the ultimate protection for your home against water and foundation damage when a groundworks company uh, such as AquaGuard installs its permanent solutions. So I want you to go to AquaGuard.net to find out more about this. If you've got an issue with your uh, crawl space, if you're seeing some signs of a problem, uh, AquaGuard.net, a place you can go to find out more uh, about that. The trusted uh, experts from AquaGuard are going to come out, they're going to assess what's going on there, and they're going to find the problem, and they're going to install a solution to protect your home uh, for the health and safety of your family. Uh, If you want a free inspection of what may be going on with your crawl space there, find them online, AquaGuard.net. All right, as we wrap up today, don't forget, one week from today, we are live at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven, Dog Nation Happy Hour, special broadcast, special time for us, too, 6 p.m. That's our newest show. 
course, Dog Nation Happy Hour returns tonight at its normal time, 7 p.m. Then next week, we're live at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven at 6 p.m. We'll hang out and do some happy hour fun together at 5 p.m. prior to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see you there for that. Now, a moment ago, we made fun of the lousy, stinking gators. And that's always a great subject for our golden shoe there as well, including our winner today, Dustin Kreider. Now, Dustin's someone I happen to know. So uh, he sent this in. Uh, very funny. First of all, a great picture of his family there as part of his Twitter profile. And then he says, two weeks until Florida is 0-1. I love that. Looking ahead of that game, it's actually two weeks from today, too. Uh, 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 I, I guess now it's actually one week because it'll be uh, on, on the 31st. Either way, it doesn't matter. Florida's going to lose to Utah. That's fun to think about. We'll give Dustin the golden shoe there for that. You love to be able to see it. And speaking of the lousy stinking Gators, what we do know is 65 days from now, Georgia back in Jacksonville beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. And we'll see you all back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We will look forward to talking to you then.